On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, today's show is a little different. It's uh, an amalgamation, really. I'll hold my hands up. I've had a crazy few weeks and the interviews have kind of fallen by the wayside, but I didn't want to leave you with nothing today, so it's a bit of a mix of shows. The subject of the episode relates to something that happened on this day, so it's a kind of This Day Rocks, but it's a slightly extended interview that I'm using, one from my archive, and I'm talking, well, nearly 15 years ago or so, back in the depths of my vault. So on that front, it's a little like side to episode two. But don't worry though, I do have interviews lined up so normal service will be resuming next week. But today is November the 14th and on this day in 1987, Tapao went to number one on the UK singles chart. It was with their huge hit China in your hand. Now Tapao were a British band fronted by Carol Decker, but they struggled to break through here. It was the US where they took off originally, thanks to the single Heart and Soul. As for China in your hand then, it hit the top spot on this day, as I said, and it stayed there for five weeks. It actually became the 600th song to reach number one in the UK and actually held George Harrison's Got My Mind Set On You off the top spot in the process. It was also number one in Belgium, Iceland, Ireland, the Netherlands, Norway and Switzerland. It was voted Britain's 11th favourite number one of the 80s in a 2015 poll. And in 2017, the Daily Telegraph included it in the best 21 power ballads of all time. So a huge hit over here in Europe. So as I said, I'm going to play you an archive interview I did with Carol way back when I used to host a long-running 80s show. I think I did it for nearly 12 years. Anyway, we start the interview talking about the big hit in America before getting on to the topic of China in Your Hand, Carol's reputation as being feisty, and the band's demise. That is, of course, heart and soul from the wonderful band that is Tapao. And I can say that I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the one and only Carol Decker. Hi, Carol. Hey, Paul. How you doing? I'm not too bad at all. Now, does that take you back, that song? It does. <laughs> very, very, very happy and exciting times. I can imagine. Well, it took you a couple of releases, didn't it, actually, over here before it became big. But it broke in America first, didn't it, that one? It did. It was our first single in the um, in the UK, and it went to number 98 and straight back out of the charts. And our record company, which was um, Siren, which was a subsidiary Virgin, they were just gutted, and, and we all thought our career was over before it had begun. But fortunately, um, the Americans loved it, and it went to number four in the Billboard charts. And it stayed on the American charts in some form or another for almost six months. Okay. So, and you know, back then, I'm, I'm assuming the same thing happens now. If you had a big hit in the States, it tended to jettison you out across the rest of the world. Mm. So we got a reprieve. <laughs> and um, Heart and Soul went top five in most territories around the world. But we got a second chance here in the UK and it went to number four in the UK as well. Why do you think it caught on so quickly in America then? Um. I think they were more comfortable with the kind of the groove on the bass and the rap 
um, very bad rap that I did on it <laughs> at that time. That was definitely more of an American thing. And and it appeared on a, the Pepe Jeans commercial as well, didn't it? It did. It How was did that released... come about? How did that happen? Um, they approached us and... Um, you know, we were great. For, you know, and of course, back in those days, you didn't get paid for all these things, or we didn't. We probably could have retired on a, <laughs> a cinema commercial if that was happening now. But um, yeah, they, they approached our record company and they really loved, again, it was a very cool song, Heart and Soul. It was very yeah. hip. And Pepe were just doing this great new launch for their latest product. And um, it went into all the cinemas. And again, that helped us with our second chance in the UK. And well, that song was massive, but then to, to follow, you couldn't have expected that China in Your Hand was going to be even bigger. And it was number one for five weeks or something, wasn't it, in the UK? It was, and um, such a surprise because it was a late addition to the album. It, it, it wasn't completed, it wasn't finished, and it wasn't um, part of what the record company had heard to give us our deal and put us in the studio. But we were in the studio with Roy Thomas Baker in America. And one song, I can't remember which night, it just wasn't working out. So we were a track short. And he said, have you got anything else? And um, Ronnie and I had this sort of half-finished piano and some vocals on a cassette. And that was it. And we played it to, to Roy. And he said, that's fabulous. You know, let's work on it. And we had to anyway because we were a track down. And, and that was it. Oh, can I ask you what the song's all about? <laughs> Uh, oh, it all sounds so pompous and grand, but it's actually about Mary Bishelli writing the story of Frankenstein. I'd, I'd seen this documentary about her and her husband, Percy Shelley, and, and their trendy gang, which included Lord Byron. And when she wrote this book, she was only 19, and, and it was... Um, what would be the equivalent of a very successful pulp fiction now. And she, she blew them and all their poems out of water. And it caused a lot of dissent in their camp. There was a lot of professional jealousy, I think. And um, I think there was a bit of a triste going on between her and her husband and Lord Byron. So it was all very complicated. <laughs> and so she got this tremendous success, but it brought about the end of all their friendships. And that's a... And then the story wrapped up inside of that, of course, is Frankenstein himself, who, you know, ended up completing his heart's desire, creating life and created his own nightmare and his own end. So it's just a, a story within a story about the parable of being careful what you wish for. My words. That does sound a little bit crazy. <gasps> and pause for breath. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel then when it actually got to number one? Because that must have been a massive feeling for you. Uh, just stunned. You know, I was just really stunned that uh, we were, I'd, I'd hoped for some success. I'd been working a long time to get a record deal. All I ever wanted was like, to be on top of the pops or something, you know. But to go to number one and, and stay there for five weeks was just beyond my wildest dreams. It was fantastic. And it wasn't just a single, was it? Because obviously the album came out was it a week later and that hit number one at the same time, didn't it? It did. And um, I have been reliably informed by... Um, I think ASCAP and PRS know all sort of songwriting bodies that that's quite an exclusive club to belong to to have a simultaneous number one album and single, which I didn't realise, but now I'll be big-headed about that now as well. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> well, so you should. Um, did you enjoy all the fame that came your way? Did you really lap it up as a, as a big uh, pop star back in the day? Oh, I did. I loved it. Couldn't get over myself, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think it got on the band's nerves a bit because... Um, certainly a couple of our musicians were really quite worthy musos, you know, mm -hmm. and they sort of didn't like all the smash hit stuff and, you know, um, the, the tabloid interest in me and things like that. But I did. <laughs> I thought I was great. <laughs> <laughs> what was the most extravagant thing you ever bought or ever did? Um, a 
farm in Wales with 20 acres. Well, big enough, isn't it? <laughs> Bored one day, went out and bought that, you know. Yeah, you know, we, we had a lot of money. We had quite a bit of money back then and um, treated ourselves accordingly. You know, flashy holidays and going to all the places you'd always dreamed of going to. Ah. Well, you had a reputation being back then of being feisty, and I'd heard that <laughs> your fellow members of the band uh, referred to you as the Moo. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just stick up for myself. I, <laughs> you know, it's that old thing, isn't it? That a guy's just being a guy and a, and a woman's a bitch, you know. And I'm perfectly capable of being a bitch sometimes, I'm sure. But um, I would just, I was, you know, often the only female in, in a whole host of very loud men. And you, I just had to fight to be heard. It was like having a thousand brothers, you know, and you just got to get in there and, and wrestle with them and fight fire with fire. So that's all I did. I don't go out looking for fights ever. <laughs> so you're a bit of a tough cookie, though. Um, but no, I, I pretend I am, you know. <laughs> I'm like anybody else. I sort of go, come on, then you want a piece of me. And then once I'm back, back inside my own door, I'm like, oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any uh, excessive demands on your rider or anything like that at gigs? Were you into that sort of thing? <laughs> No, actually, I couldn't give a flying fig about riders. I really couldn't. I think I once threw a hissy fit because they ran out of twiglets when we were in Germany. <laughs> and that, no, honestly, as long as, as long as I've got something to eat and a glass of plonk, I'm fine. And also, you know, I couldn't eat before the shows anyway. The crew needed to eat and the boys needed to eat. So we'd have lots of catering. But I I couldn't go on stage with a big full belly and mm. sing their songs, so I really I'm just not bothered, you know. And it's not like we were at the North Pole; you're always able to find a sarni somewhere. <laughs> it's good to hear. Well, we've talked about it a little bit, so I think it's time that we played it. This is the smash hit to Pow single, number one, 1987, longest number one of the year. Uh, there for five weeks at the top of the charts. It is China in your hand. Don't China in your hand from Tapao off the Bridge of Spies album. Now, uh, still joined by Carol Decker, the lead singer of Tapao. Hi, Carol. Hi there. Hello. Uh, now, you had uh, another two successful albums, didn't you? Rage and The Promise, but the band split up in 1991. What was all that about? Oh, it's really hard to put a finger on one thing, you know. I mean, yeah, the Rage, our second album, everybody forgets this. It was a platinum album. But because Bridge of Spies, our first album, was quadruple platinum, it sort of dwarfed the fact that Rage was still a platinum album. Mm. So we were still on a fantastic roll. And we'd been on the road solidly for almost 17 months. And Ronnie and I had written those first two albums in Shrewsbury in our damp little flat. So we had two albums worth of material stacked up. By the time we come to record the third album, you know, we'd all been living in each other's pockets the politics of the band had changed we'd all gone from being in either lowly paid jobs or on the dole to, to the six musketeers all in it together and then when the royalties came in obviously ronnie and i got all the writing royalties and although the boys were on fantastic salaries there quickly became this sort of financial divide between us and they could see it and it caused a lot of resentment on their part which i never thought was justified because we wrote all the songs before we met them. Mm. So, you know, I just made sure that they were paid very well for 
being the musicians that played on the road, they had a share of merchandising. You know, we thought we'd set them up a good deal, but they started to want more and more and more. And then we resented them for that. We thought they were being greedy. So there's the usual kind of financial spats. We then discovered that our then manager was um, doing naughty things behind our backs with our money. So that was awful. That took us four years to sort out and go to court. And and we just ran out of steam. And by the time we re-emerged with The Promise in 91, everything had changed. And it was sort of Manchester and... You know, the Stone Roses and bands like The Farm, the whole musical climate had changed and we, we didn't really fit in. And we weren't going along. So, <laughs> so that was it. And that was it. There you go, the lovely Carol Decker there, that interview from well over 10 years ago. But that's it for today's This Side Today Rocks episode, or something like that, even if that's a thing. I'll be back tomorrow with more On This Day Rock goodness for you, though. But until then, take care. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.